episode 170, bonus edition, interview with Dan Jones. Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. And make sure to check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And now, the learning begins in three, two, one. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educator's podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Hey, hey, elite educators. It's Gretchen here of Always a Lesson, here to empower you to reach your potential. You know what? I call you elite. I just think that really describes someone that takes the time to invest in themselves by listening to podcasts just like this one to help hone their craft. Today's a special day because we have a guest appearance, which means your professional development that you are seeking is going to be increased tenfold. I cannot wait for you to hear from this elite educator named Dan Jones. But before we dive into the interview, I want to share a little bit more about him with you. So Dan is a middle school social studies and reading slash language arts teacher. He earned his master's degree from the American College of Education in Curriculum and Instruction. Whoop, me too. With a specialization in digital teaching and learning, he is what's considered a master flip educator, and he's been teaching in the classroom for 13 years. Uh, Project-based learning, PBL, has kind of been at the forefront of his instruction for the past seven years. And when Dan began flipping his class five years ago, he took PBL and combined it with flip learning to create this dynamic learning environment. And after seeing such dramatic results, he began presenting about flip learning and project-based learning at conferences and has since developed training to help educators transform their classrooms into active learning environments. But what's even cooler than that, he is an author of the book Flipped 3.0 Project-Based Learning, an insanely simple guide, which is an amazing title, by the way. Basically, this book explains PBL in a way that allows all teachers to have a firm understanding as to what it is and how to implement it into their classroom. And Dan makes PBL doable with every unit of study throughout the entire school year. He goes through the process in a step-by-step manner so that educators just like you can see how to plan out PBL units successfully. I will certainly link up that book in the show notes. Just go to alwaysalesson.com, click on podcast episode. You'll see Dan's episode there and you will find any links for things that we discussed throughout the interview there. Speaking of the interview, let's go ahead and dive right in. Well, hey, Dan, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we've got elite educators around the world listening, eager to just learn from you today. So if you don't mind, I'm going to jump right into the good stuff. Sure. Okay, so let's start with the background, how our two paths have crossed. Go ahead and tell everybody about that. Well, I am rather new to podcasting, and I first got interested in it when I listened to one of John Bergman's podcasts uh, through Flip Learning Worldwide, and I really started to look for other educational podcasts that looked at innovation and improving current practices. When I found your podcast, I really, truly felt like I had found a community that I could grow in. Mm, I like that. Tell me more about why you, why you say community. Because when you listen to a podcast, you feel connected right. to the, the host and the person that is sharing their experiences. And it really tends to put you in a place where you're like, you know what? That could be me. Yeah. And I can really relate to what they're sharing. So that's really how for me, it becomes a community because I really feel like I'm a part of it. Yeah, I love that. So what is your current position in education right now? 
I am a seventh and eighth grade social studies and reading and language arts teacher. Mm-hmm. When I'm glad you said that because I know a lot of folks um, are learning how to do two subjects related mm-hmm. similarly to that. And my advice is always like, you know, no one needs to be a reading teacher. Reading should be part of everything. So what is your philosophy when you have to make sure you hit both standards? How are you able to do both? I try to incorporate as much of the language arts standards into my social studies curriculum. Right. So my students are reading literature that is social studies based. They're writing essays, but they're looking at the structure of an essay, the grammatical aspect of an essay. And we really dive into those concepts so much so that the students actually, they have a hard time telling when we're working on language arts right. and when we're working on social studies. That's awesome. Do you do like a separate rubric so they know they're getting two grades for two different subjects? Or how do you do that for organizational purposes on your end? It's interesting that you bring that up because I do. I I actually used two separate rubrics that have the standards laid out. And I can say, okay, with this particular standard, we're looking at capitalization, punctuation. And this is where you scored in that specific area. And that way they can see where they need to improve in their writing. Mm-hmm. And then they'll actually get a separate social studies grade that addresses whether or not they communicated the ideas effectively to be able to address the essential question. Yeah, so the content piece. Yep. Yeah, got it. Okay. So you mentioned seventh and eighth grade. Is that right? Yes. And I know a lot of teachers are thinking about looping or trying to co-teach something similar to what you would be doing in terms of having different levels of learners. How do you manage Mm -hmm. that for yourself, changing gears in your head of either standards or just their ability levels? It seems to be maybe a bit overwhelming. Do you have any hacks or tips you can share? Well, one of the great things about having the kids for at least two years is I can see them grow Mm -hmm. and I know where they started and I know where we're headed because I'm teaching that content the next year and I can see exactly where I want to go with them and how we're going to get there when I have to actually go in and you know switch gears it's not as challenging because with the structure of a flipped classroom a lot of that content has gone before me. It's, you know, I've sent it home and when they come into the classroom, that is when we get into, you know, analyzing the content and working with the content. So it's not necessarily as hard to switch gears using flip learning as your meta strategy. Mm-hmm. I know we're going to spend a big chunk of our time today talking about that before we dive into flipped learning, thinking about yourself just as a teacher um, of middle school students, ready, preparing themselves for high school. What is the best lesson that you've learned in this role of students? One of the things that I've really learned is that I'm not preparing them for high school. I'm actually preparing them for life. Mm -hmm. I'm preparing them for, you know, how do I survive in this world? And that's why we spend a lot of times on problem solving, collaboration, because those are skills that extend beyond high school. Right. And I don't want to just say, well, you know, I need to prepare you for the next grade. Mm -hmm. No, I need to prepare them to function as global citizens. And so a lot of the strategies that we use in the classroom do just that. That's so advantageous because you're looking at it as what are skills that, yes, are going to benefit them the next year for them, Mm -hmm. high school and beyond, but how do these skills also filter through other areas of their life? So you're truly preparing them for any situation, not just one specific, which would be whatever's happening in their life the next year. Correct. Yeah, I like that. And I know you've got lots of colleagues and have met lots of teachers. So in your mind, thinking about characteristics that make a great teacher, and I know you've kind of transformed your own teaching style over the years, how would you describe a teacher that's like, wow, this person's amazing? I would say one of the things that a great educator does is they have to be a continuous learner. Mm -hmm. They have to always see themselves as in a progress of learning. They can never have arrived. Anyone who has arrived is going to have a rough awakening. Yeah. <laughs> and they they have to also be able to provide for the social emotional support of 
not only themselves, but other educators. They have to be able to support people and they, they want to have a more of an impact, I would say, than just within the walls of their classroom because they know that they're preparing kids to go outside of those walls. And so it's really, really important for them to say, you know what, it's not just about what happens in here. Mm -hmm. It's about what happens when these kids leave this room. And that, you know, that great educator, I think also has to be reading. If you're not reading, you're not learning. And those, those are the skills that, you know, how do you know what's best practice? How do you know what's going on elsewhere in the world? What other instructional methods are there? And so you have to be looking, you have to be reading, you have to be listening. And those are things that I think are key characteristics to someone who is a great educator. So let me ask you then, you know, you, you have, again, the advantage, I keep saying that word, of teaching two different grade levels. So you kind of are forced into the mindset of thinking progressively, thinking in terms of preparing them, making sure your standards are aligned and, and how can you keep pushing, you know, where do students need to go content-wise? Mm-hmm. So do you think that has enabled you to think bigger picture like, let me make sure my students are prepared for things beyond, you know, next year because you're just trained in that way versus someone that might just teach one grade level and not have to think that way? Well, one of the things that I had to really come to grips with is the fact that, yes, I teach seventh and eighth grade and I've taught it for 13 years, but my students get it once. Mm Mm-hmm. They only get one chance to be a seventh grader, one chance to be that eighth grader. Mm -hmm. And I need to be able to provide them with the best seventh grade year, the best eighth grade year that they deserve. And so that is one of the things that really pushed me to try to find different ways of engaging them. And that's really one of the things that led me to looking for um, a distance learning program because I started looking at content and I thought, you know what, what is going to be the best way to present the Declaration of Independence to my students? It can be such a dry document. The U.S. Constitution, they're they're just dry documents that a seventh or an eighth grader is going to have a really hard time connecting with. Mm -hmm. So how do I make this thing come alive for them? And my first thought was, well, I've got to get an expert to talk to him. And I wasn't able to necessarily bring somebody in because that's, that's a moment and it's not as long lasting for kids because they tend to have guest speakers that come into the classroom and present content. And I wanted something that when they're 80 years old, they will remember. Right this event. And so I reached out to the National Archives and I said, hey, would you guys want to talk with my students? And they said, well, we've never done anything like that. And I said, okay. And they said, but we could, we could do that. Absolutely. Let's, let's go for it. And so we were the first school to Skype with the National Archives to Mm -hmm. talk about the Declaration of Independence. And they were so engaged because they had an opportunity to ask an expert who was 450 miles from our school in a live feed questions about what they were studying. And I'll never forget, one of my students asked the question, what happens to the Declaration of Independence at night? And our presenter, her name was Missy McNatt, and she said, you know what, that's a great question, but it is top secret. And I am not allowed to tell you that. And the kids were just like, what? <laughs> we, you know, they, they thought that they were going to get access to information that, you know, nobody else knew. Right. And so as, you know, as we continued to look at that and I was like, well, who would be the next greatest person to talk to my kids? And I, I went to the U.S. Capitol and I just sent them an email. And the message I got back was astounding. They said you know what, we've never done anything like this before, but we're looking at starting a distance learning program and we would love to pilot something with you. Oh, how cool. 
And so we started getting mail from the U.S. Capitol, and they were sending us um, folders that the senators get when they go to the State of the Union address. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were sending us all these different documents for the kids to look over and study all prior to our Skyping event. And then I'll, I'll never forget at the end of the session, the uh, U.S. Capitol had sent out a tweet that showed a picture of their side of our Skype conversation. Oh, cool. And so then we sent one back and they liked ours and it, it was just really cool. <laughs> that is cool. You've made learning come alive. Like you said, memorable. Um, and I like that these students are authentically learning versus reading a textbook. So that is very awesome. Yeah, there's a, there's actually a purpose to why are my why am I studying this? Well, I'm going to be talking to this person, so I need to know exactly what I'm talking about. I need to ask intelligent questions, and so it teaches a lot of skills and gives a lot of purpose to the learning. Yeah, totally. Um, I wanted to ask you. I, I kind of think I know where you might go with this, but uh, this podcast has a variety of listeners. So we've got some new teachers tuning in, some in transition. Maybe they're going to a different grade level or leaving the profession. Uh, many teachers in distress over their current position and state of education and teacher leaders, which I kind of consider you. But if you could give any one of these types of teachers a piece of advice, what would it be and why? Well, six years ago, I had actually hit rock bottom in my career and I was done teaching. I was, I was so frustrated and I didn't like coming into work. There was nothing about it that I enjoyed. And so I, I feel like I can really relate to those teachers who are distressed. Mm -hmm. they, they have a hard time connecting with their students. They have a hard time connecting with the content. And why is this content even important to the lives of the kids? Right. And so, you know, for me, one of the things I had to do was I, I do believe I had to hit rock bottom because I was trying to go at education by myself. I felt almost like I had something to prove that I could do this. I could, I could be great, but it is that ego that essentially buried my passion. Mm. And it wasn't until I got knocked down that I could look up and right. see everyone around me that was willing to help and that was offering help. And I needed to stop thinking that it was all about me and all about what I could do. And I, I needed to be able to reach out and accept the help of others and it, be able to admit, you know what? I can't do this by myself. That's really good. And personally, what I like about your story, I'm sorry to hear you go through the struggle, but it's good for folks to say like, he is this successful. Look at all these impactful lessons he's been able to design and how much he loves his job. But it wasn't always like that. Like you had a season in your career where you thought, this is it. I'm done. I'm checked out. I hate this. Uh, I'm not good at this or whatever your own thoughts were at the time. But mm -hmm. if you just hang in there and your advice of reach out, people want to help. But you've got to be willing to say like, hey, I, yeah, I need the help. And now here you are. You're rejuvenated and you're back at it better than ever. Uh, so it almost catapulted you into your potential going through that rough spot. And I'm so glad you were willing to share that. And it, it really did. And the, the people that I went to, because, you know, I was ready to quit. I was, I was done. And so I went to my administrator. I said, you know what? I got to quit. I can't do it. And they said, you know what? You can't continue to do what you're doing. I would agree with that. You just need to find a different way of doing it. Hmm. And, and so I was like, well, you know, how else do you teach? Yeah. You, <laughs> You, you, you tell kids what they need to know, they go home, they memorize it, they spit it back on a test, and you click repeat for the very next lesson. Yeah. And yeah, you do different activities and whatnot, but that's not, you know, the, the formula is the same. No matter what you're teaching, what content you're teaching, what classroom you're in, and it just really boggled my mind when she's like, well, you just need to find a different way right. to do it. So it was that moment that I believe catapulted me into a revived passion because I did find a different way. Mm -hmm. That's so good. You mentioned your principal. Is that who you would consider your current mentor? I did want to ask you who you go to to learn from. 
Um, she is definitely a mentor for me, especially in like the day-to-day things. She, you know, saw the potential in me that I didn't even see. And she is able, you know, to guide me through, like I said, a lot of the day-to-day things that happen in the classroom. You know, you know, how do you handle this particular discipline issue? Um, how do you, you know, I've, I've got this parent that I need to contact. How do I handle that? And so she's able to really offer some sound guidance because she has 40 plus years in education. This isn't her first rodeo. And she knows from experience how to really guide somebody through their career. And so I really appreciate that about her. And she's radically candid with me. And she can tell me, hey, that's not going well. You need to fix that. And a lot of times that's kind of hard to hear. Yeah. But you need those people in your life to tell you what you need to do differently. Because if you always have people who are telling you, hey, you're great. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, that's wonderful. Truly, you're still not growing. Yeah. And you need someone who's willing to step in and say, hey, that's not right. Yeah. It's like accountability with love. (laughs) It is. It really, truly is. Um, I know you mentioned um, reading. So in terms of just keeping up to date on what's happening in education and making sure you're trying new things in the classroom, what is your avenue to continue to learn and grow? There are different websites that I keep up with. Okay. Um, I, I definitely check out Edutopia to see what, you know, some of the major things are that are going on in education. Right. But I am always researching different topics because um, another role that I'm in right now is I am a K-12 editor for the Flip Learning Review magazine. And so we're always looking for new and innovative ways of engaging students and creating active learning environments. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, has driven me to continue doing research and to continue looking. But I also feel that, you know what, my kids do deserve to have the best. And they, if there's something out there that I'm missing, that I can begin to incorporate, I need to do that. And so I'm always looking to see, is there a better way of reaching my students? Mm. You have some very powerful statements. Um, And I like your mindset about, it's all about the kids. It's nothing to do with you and how can you make this engaging for them? How can you make it memorable for them? How can you make it effective for them? And I think that's probably why you are so great and why you are someone I consider an elite educator because of your mindset. So I'm learning a lot from you and and you're giving me a lot to really think about. Um, I did want to spend some time chatting with you about something that you've become so great in, and that is this flipped learning model. So why don't you just start from the beginning, (laughs) tell us your whole story of how this began, where you went with it, what's happening with it now. Um, I'm very excited to hear all about it. Sure. When I had hit rock bottom and I was told you need to find a different way to teach, I went to the internet and I typed in new and innovative ways to teach kids. And one of the first things that popped up was flipped learning. And so the more I read about it, the more it made sense that this truly is the way that education was meant to be done. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it takes the bottom two tiers of blooms, which is that um, basic memorization and presentation of information and it moves it to an individual space so the kids can dive into that content at home whether it's through a video through a reading through some sort of you know online activity whatever it may be they're able to go home and take that information take notes over it and then when they come back into the classroom they're wet they're ready to apply that information right And as educators, we're able to do what we have longed to do, and that's actually work with our students. Mm -hmm. Instead of just spending the majority of our class time telling them this is what you need to know Mm -hmm. and then sending them home with all the hard stuff that we can't help them with, 
we're able to actually spend time with kids, helping them with the hard stuff. And it, it allows us to really reach every student. I can have a personal conversation um, with every single kid in my class and find out, okay, this is where you're struggling. Why don't you take a look at this and you know, let's dialogue about that. And all of a sudden, they feel supported. Mm-hmm. The parents also feel a relief because they don't have to be the teacher at home. Right. And so there's a lot of parental support around flip learning because the teacher is still teaching, but they're teaching them in such a way that the kid can be more successful. The students are by far more successful. You know, that, that philosophy just made sense. And so what I did was I took that and I combined it with project-based learning. Now, project-based learning can be a challenge to do because there's never enough time to do project-based learning well. And you can do it here and there, but to do it with every unit just kind of seems impossible. And so what Flip Learning does is it gives teachers time to do what they have always wanted to do in class. And it supports no matter what type of instructional method you use, whether it's mastery, inquiry, project-based learning, um, gamification, it takes all of those and it supports it. It doesn't replace it, it supports it. Mm-hmm. And the um, one of the things that I loved was that I now got to do projects with every unit that we covered in class. And I think with project-based learning, one thing that teachers need to understand is that the project is not the dessert of a, of a unit. It's not what is done at the end. And it's actually what's done throughout the course of the unit. And it is your main course. Hmm. So as kids are learning, they're applying that knowledge immediately in class. And they are collaborating with uh, their peers. They're able to you know, give their peers some feedback that is constructive and supportive. And, you know, it's able to give them different ideas on how to approach the topic. Because what the kids do is they each have their own individual project. I don't create a single project for the kids. They tell me this is how I want to do it. And so it definitely becomes all about them. They're able to use their passions. They're able to use their interests and a lot of their giftedness and they're able to bring that into the classroom which then all of a sudden gives the assignment more meaning but it deepens the interest level of the student i have kids who are creating minecraft worlds that are about the social studies content (laughs) that's cool and so for them to be able to play minecraft in class is a reason for them to come to school it's they they look forward to the days where they get to work on their project in class and apply what they've learned the night before to you know something that's relevant to them and so the um, the classroom it becomes a very very active environment the students are in discussions they're you know working on their papers they're revising and they're able to get support every step of the way. There isn't a single student sitting in my classroom that I don't know what their voice sounds like hmm. that is able to hide. And there are kids that would love to be able to hide. Right. And just kind of fade into the walls. But this holds them more accountable and it helps produce independent learners. Totally. Which, again, is that life skill. You're trying to prepare them to go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. So front-loading the learning on students allows them to do that lower-level stuff, like read or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they come in and do the meat of the lesson, which is the application. It's the discussion. It's the creation process. They're dialoguing with you with questions and 
Um, maybe they have to rethink kind of their own perspective on things. And that is what kids need from us as teachers is, is that hard stuff. And when you said we're sending them home to do that on their own or with parents, I'm like, yeah, why are we doing that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And when they come to class, they come prepared with questions. And so we sit around, we actually have a Socratic conversation in which they get to dialogue with each other and say, well, you know, this is what I got out of last night's lesson, but I was confused with this part. And so then they can have peer instruction and their peers can help explain it to each other because, you know, sometimes hearing it from me doesn't necessarily make as much sense. Right. And no matter how many times they listen to me say the same thing over and over, it just doesn't click. Mm -hmm. But if they have one of their friends explain it to them, all of a sudden they're speaking the same words, but in a, a different language and it's, it's their language and it makes complete sense for them. Mm -hmm. And so instead of spending, you know, 20 minutes on questions at the end of me, you know, teaching a lesson, I'm able to shrink that down to within a, about five minutes. They can say, you know what, this is what I got. This is what I didn't understand. And here's how that information connects to what we learned, you know, in a previous unit or in a previous day. And, you know, these are things that, you know, if we both didn't understand this, that I want to make sure that we ask when we get into our whole group session. And so it really makes the questions that are asked during that whole group session more meaningful because there's no more, hey, what are we having for lunch today? <laughs> types of questions. It's there are questions that are actually directed about the content. And if you get into a, um, a whole group session and nobody has a question, then I can throw something out there and say, you know, well, what did you think of this? And really try to get that dialogue going. But once that's done, and like I said, it only takes five to seven minutes, then they can immediately go back and start applying that. And as they're applying that, I can walk around the room and really engage them and see, okay, are you applying it correctly? Do you have a an absolute mastery of that content when you go to apply it. And if not, let's talk about that. One thing I want to clarify, because I'm sure people listening are like, oh yeah, this flip learning sounds like no work on my part. I don't have to make <laughs> copies, you know, I don't have to whatever, but it's actually more prep because you have to make sure sending them off home that they have everything that they need supports. I'm thinking maybe like ESL kids might need, uh, dictionaries for translations mm -hmm. or, or whatever before they can come back in. And then you have kind of your game plan of, okay, this is where I think today's going to go. But of course you're, you're ready to go with, you know, what students need, but it, it's probably a lot more prep on the front end than maybe folks think. Am I correct in stating that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I will spend the bulk of my time, you know, prepping for a unit and then you know, once you hit go at the beginning of that unit, truly you should have, I would say 90% done. 90% of what you planned on using for that unit ready to go. Because you wanna present that as a complete um, unit for your, your students. Because you don't wanna to have to be making tomorrow's lesson today. You wanna kinda of have all of that ready to go because that's one of the other things I really like about flipped learning is that if a student is moving um, at a different pace mm -hmm. than one of their peers, they can keep moving forward. The, the pace of the class is not set by your lowest students. It allows your gifted students to continue to excel while you're able to support your um, students who struggle more. And to me, that is one of the um, beautiful things about the setup. Because when I was in school, I was always the kid who was the slowest at taking notes in class. And I was asking for the transparency from my teacher. And I was, <laughs> Transparency. You know, I, I know. Bringing me back. <laughs> <laughs> And so I, you know, I was copying down notes and everybody else was done probably five, 10 minutes before me, but they were waiting on me before they could move on. Right. And this allows students to take notes at their own pace, 
to work at their own pace. And when I say at their own pace, I don't mean no pace because there's a big difference between no pace and at their own pace because the, at the end of the day, students are making progress and there's no one in the class that's able to just sit and do nothing right. and not engage. And, but the students who desperately want to dig deeper are able to go as deep as they want to go with the content. And I always tell the students, you know, what I'm presenting to you is um, at a level of three. We have a um, grading scale of one, two, three, and four, mm-hmm. which is more of a mastery scale, uh, mm-hmm. uh, standards-based grading. And what I'm giving you is a three. This is grade level. But if you want that four, you're going to have to do additional research. You're going to have to dive into this content and find stuff that I'm not presenting. And so your kids who are used to always getting A's, all of a sudden are like, wait, so you mean I'm getting a three? (laughs) And then all of a sudden that drive kicks in and they become by far more independent in their learning. And they want that four. They want to be above grade level. And they're not okay being at grade level anymore. And so they're looking at, you know, external websites that have content related that they can bring into their papers, bring into their projects. And then they get really excited because every unit they have to do a presentation of their projects. And so they get to share stuff that nobody else learned. Yeah, that's cool. Do you find it's hard to get parents on board or what have you learned in your experience in terms of how to present it so parents aren't nervous because it's different or new um, and that, you know, your child's taken care of, but this is actually better for them? What have you found to work? When I explain what flip learning is to the parents, um, one, I do it through a video and I have them all watch a video um, of me explaining the content before they ever come to our uh, parent back. You mean you flip the learning on them? (laughs) I do. I do. And it's great to see who's actually watched the video and who hasn't. Uh Um, But they actually, they come to back to school night with questions. And so the time isn't wasted with me explaining everything. It's spent with me clarifying all of, you know, any misconceptions that they may have. Because a lot of times, because a teacher isn't necessarily presenting new information in a classroom, mm-hmm. that idea of, well, you're not teaching right, can come across. And that is the furthest thing from the truth because flipped classroom teachers teach. They just don't necessarily present that content in a traditional classroom setting. Right. And it, those kids are still getting my lessons at home. And they can now pause me, rewind me. They can, you know, take as much time as they need and they can listen to my lecture when it's essentially convenient for them. And um, they, they can do that truly in a contained setting where they don't have to feel uncomfortable if they don't understand something. Right. Or like so, you said, need to go back or whatever their learning style requires them to do. Absolutely. Yeah, and I appreciate that you gave the parents the experience. Without telling them what flip learning was, you allowed them to experience it so that they came in and you're like, what you just did is what your child is going to be able to do. And we get to spend our time together doing the most useful things and the most productive things. And um, that's going to better prepare them. So I think, yes, that would be a great strategy to get parents on board because they're going to say, Oh, I get it now. I You just did this with me. I can feel the difference. I feel prepared coming in to meet you. I was ready with my questions. I feel like I'm walking away with a better understanding. I'm on board. Tell me how to help. Um, so I think that is definitely a great idea if someone's wanting to roll this out is to do exactly what you did. I know you mentioned lectures and videos. So what tools are you using for flip learning? There are a couple tools that I use. There's one in the classroom called Kahoot. Uh-huh. And I love Kahoot because it's so interactive. The kids get so excited and into it, whether it's when they play it as individuals or whether they get to play it as a team. And they always, you know, are trying to race to be the first one in, but they also have to be the first one in with the right answer to get the most points. And so that um, whole competition aspect of it is a lot of fun for them. And I never have prizes for them. 
they just love to win. <laughs> Even though they're not winning anything other than, you know, the uh, lesson, that's okay. They don't, I, I personally believe that they do not have to have a prize every single time they win something. Right. Um, and it doesn't diminish their enjoyment of an activity. They just like to participate. And the other thing that I use, the other tool that I use is on the um, individual space side of it. I use a program called PlayPosit, and there are multiple programs out there like Edpuzzle, um, but PlayPosit, what it does is it allows me to upload one of my videos from YouTube into the program, and then I can embed questions as the video plays. It'll all of a sudden pause, ask a question, and then the students have to respond to that question before the video continues. Oh, that's cool. And one of the things, or there are a lot of things that the program shows me um, analytically when the students complete that lesson. It shows me their answers to the questions that I posed, but it also shows me how long did it take them to answer that question. So I know whether they're just clicking through things. Right. Because you always have that student that clicks just mm -hmm. to get done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I can then approach that student the next day and I'm going to tell them, hey, you're going to redo the lesson. Because with flipped learning, you know, just as when kids would miss school and they come in and they say, well, you know, I, met, I wasn't here yesterday. What did I miss? Well, you missed a lecture. You, you missed, you know, all of this content and now I can't present it to you. And it's their responsibility to kind of go learn it on their own. Well, in a flipped classroom, that lecture is always there. So the point is that you're going to watch this, you're going to learn this content, even if you didn't do well on it, you can now go back and you can rewatch and you can take notes and you can do all the things that you didn't do that um, had been assigned and they're not missing content. They're not missing a lecture. They're not missing um, an activity that we did in class. There's, there's time for them to actually, you know, re-engage and still master content with their peers. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you've got to engage to learn. You've got to be an active learner and there's really no, no way around it. So I like that approach. One question I do like to ask guests, and this might make you blush a little bit, but mm -hmm. <laughs> share with us your best all-star teacher moment. Um, I would, I would definitely say it was when we got to Skype with the U S Capitol. Mm -hmm. That was, um, well between that and when we were able to work with, um, George Washington's home, Mount Vernon, mm -hmm. that Mount Vernon was probably it. It, because the students, as they're, um, working with Dr. Bradburn, he walked into a room and he said, now I probably shouldn't show you this which is what every student wants to hear. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he waved his hand over um, a spot in the wall because he was walking us through the new library, the new okay. George Washington library. And a door opens in the wall. You would have no idea that it was there. <laughs> and we walk into a, a small, very small room that had books everywhere. And they were all George Washington's personal copies of different pieces of literature. And then they had a, a, a book setting um, as like a centerpiece. And it even had um, an emblem above it. And he said, what do you guys think this is? And of course, nobody had any idea. And he said, this is George Washington's personal copy of the US Constitution with his notes as to what the role of the president is. Oh, wow. So the kids got to see George Washington's actual handwriting in the margins of the Constitution. And then all of a sudden, our signal got cut out. Oh! <laughs> and so um, they called us back, and he was sitting at his desk with Washington's copy of the Constitution just sitting on his desk. And the first thing that my students noticed was he's not wearing gloves to handle this. Right. He's just, he's just flipping pages 
and he had shared that the document had been purchased um, by the ladies of Mount Vernon for it was like eleven million dollars. Wow. It was either eleven million or sixteen million dollars, um, and their their mind just cannot comprehend that much that, money, yeah. <laughs> especially for one thing. And but that experience, um, the kids will remember. Yep. And so for me to be able to, I think, provide that is something that I'm very proud of, that, you know, I was able to make the Constitution come alive for, you know, Article 2. And that is something that, you know, I'll continue to do. So I, because I want to offer that to each um, group of students every year. I want to be able to share that. Um, type of experience with them. Yeah, I think you might win the prize on the best <laughs> all-star teacher moment story. <laughs> and I like the link between the lesson you learned in terms of needing to ask, and that's what kind of rejuvenated you, and you demonstrating to students, like, hey, I didn't know that we were going to have these experiences, but I was willing to take the risk, shoot an email, see what happens. They were on the other side willing to say, We've never done this before, but we're willing to try this out for the first time. And so I think it's just a great message about taking a risk and stepping outside of the box and, and just throwing yourself out there sometimes because wonderful things happen. You stayed in the profession. Your students got great learning experiences. So uh, what a just a great life lesson there in itself. Well, thank you. And it truly, the answer to every question that's not asked is a no. Mm-hmm. And... So I felt, you know what, I'm just going to ask because the worst thing they, they can do is say no right. or, you know, just not respond. But what if they said yes? Right. And then, you know, what a wonderful experience that could develop out of that. Absolutely. I do want to be respectful of your time. So before I let you go, I want to ask you one more question. And that is a kind of no through your story, how you ended up doing this, but going forward, how do you reignite your passion and potential as an educator? By continuing to collaborate, because I now am part of a community of other flipped classroom teachers through the Flip Learning Global Initiative. Um, you can find it at flglobal.org. And um, there are 30,000 people on that site that are talking about, you know, how do we do this? How do we do it um, more effectively? How do we create active classrooms? You know, what are strategies for creating videos? And so the dialogue is rather extensive, but it is truly one of the most supportive envir online environments I've ever seen. There's every, I mean, everyone, truly everyone on there has said, you know what, you're doing a great thing, or, you know, this is my suggestion on how to do that. And people are so excited to connect with other people who are flipping their classes. And so that collaboration is encouraging, but I've also been able to say, you know what, I've been connected with um, a teacher in Italy and my students are getting ready to study the Renaissance. I wonder if she would want to collaborate with my students and our students could work together. And so then that makes the content come alive and it allows them to have deeper meaning into why they're studying what they're studying because it is somebody's real history. So those, those connections, I think, continue to um, ignite that passion and when someone says, hey, I tried out what you suggested and it worked and it's like, yes, all right, you know, we're on to something. Right. And so especially with um, project based learning, there, there are a lot of questions and it is something that people want to know. How do I do this more efficiently or effectively? And so um, I, I manage a forum on the site that's all about project based learning. And so we have constant conversation as to, you know, what's working, what's not working, how do we solve this problem? Um, so there's a lot of problem solving, there's a lot of collaboration, and it, it's just been wonderful. I like that. I think 
you're asking your students to collaborate, but you're also doing that yourself. So you're always a learner, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, on behalf of Elite Educators Everywhere, thank you so much for your time. Can you tell us where we can connect with you if we've got questions or definitely want to pick your brain about something? Where can we shoot an email or on social media get in contact with you? Sure. Um, people can reach me at flippedpbl at gmail com um, and they can find me on Twitter. It's at Ideas for Teacher, and um, I'm on Instagram uh, as Ideas for Teachers. They can also find me on Facebook. Um, so there's, I mean, there's definitely ways of getting in touch. Great. I will put all that in the show notes so folks can go right to my website and just click uh, whichever they prefer to. Again, just chat with you or, you know, ask you a question or whatever, because it seems like you're pretty open to helping and passing the learning baton to someone else who can, you know, make sure that they're also making an impact in their own schools. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being on the show. I really enjoyed our discussion, and I'm glad you were candid about your situation of being a struggling teacher in terms of your own mindset and having to come over that hurdle. Um, and now you've just blossomed into this amazing educator. And I think that's just a powerful message. So I'm so glad you were able to share that with us today. Well, thank you for giving me an opportunity. Yeah, well, let's keep in touch. Thanks so much. Absolutely. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, wasn't that an empowering message from Dan Jones? I certainly love his passion for education, his unique spin on classroom instruction, uh, engagement is top-notch uh, as well as that rigorous instruction and I appreciate him being so willing to share all his tips, tricks, secrets, and just inspiration for how to upgrade our effectiveness in the classroom. Like I mentioned before, make sure you check out the show notes page for all the details on how to connect with him, especially check out that book and all things that we talked about in this episode. Dan, if you're listening, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy life to hop on the podcast, inspire some teachers, get them excited for what's to come in their classrooms, and just encourage them to take risks and try new things because it's certainly beneficial to students and you have made it super easy for everyone to be successful in giving it a try. So thank you so much. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Dan Jones. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.